welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Alrighty, friends, if you want to make your way back to your seats, that'd be great. Just um, by way of announcement, we dedicated to young Theo Hugo Morse this morning at first hour, Rebecca and Spencer's uh, young ones. So if you know the, uh, the Morses, please say hello to them, congratulate them. I always feel bad for you guys. You know, that's like life of the church stuff, and, and, and having two hours, you don't always get to see everything. So that's as much as I can do for you today, especially since we don't have a screen. We would show his picture, but... Um, welcome to you. My name is Micah, if we don't know each other. I'm one of the pastors here at Awaken, and we are in Galatians chapter 5 this morning, so if you have a Bible, please turn there. Uh, you should also know that today is the sixth Sunday of Epiphany in the church calendar. For thousands of years, uh, Like Christians around the world have been following this calendar, this way of marking time together, and so it begins in Advent, and the light of God comes into the world at Christmas and Epiphany. Is, when, uh, is that season, and we're headed towards Lent, which begins on Ash Wednesday. So uh, that's kind of where we are in the calendar, in the story. And for us, in terms of study, we're in Galatians chapter 5. We have been walking through this book. This is about week 7. Paul has sort of argued for the gospel equals this, right? The first two chapters, the crucified Messiah, resurrected Jesus. And then that accomplishment creates this multi-ethnic family of God that includes everyone, uh, all, all that should desire, all that would say yes. Uh, no one left out in that sense. And then in chapters 5 and 6, he begins to work out the implications of that. Like, what is the fruit of that life, that accomplishment? So that's where we are today. We're going to look at chapter 5. I will warn you, we're going to read the whole chapter, so if at any point you need to sit down, please feel free to do that. But if you can, I'll invite you to stand for the reading of the word, and then we'll dive in. <clears throat> As you can see... <clears throat> Sacred Sunday is great for a lot of reasons. We take down the screen, but it's also, it gives me like a legitimate reason to draw on the whiteboard. So that's happening today too. So chapter five, Paul says this. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery, by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value at all. Again, I declare every man who lets himself be circumcised, he's obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace, for through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. <clears throat> for, in, <clears throat> excuse me, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and keep you... Uh, to keep you from obeying the truth. That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord Lord, that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. <laughs> That's funny. You can laugh at that. Uh, verse 13, he keeps going. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. 
For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not satisfy, gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you, do, you, are, uh, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, and factions, envy, and drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, those who live like that will not inherit the kingdom. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have been crucified or have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Pray with me. God, this morning as we turn our attention to your word, I'm grateful that the word has been revealed to us in Christ. Uh, The Christ who was eternal and before creation has been made known to us in Jesus, the living word. And then this word was written down about that word. And so we're grateful that you continue to speak uh, through it and, and to us, that you continue to reveal yourself to us by it. And I pray that that would happen again today. God, that you would give a word for your church uh, of encouragement, of exhortation, to do and be what you've called us to do and be in the world, I pray. By the, in the strong name of Christ and by the power of the Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. So Galatians chapter 5 is a big deal in the book of Galatians. Paul is really kind of like, bringing all the threads together and weaving this sort of way forward. And I, um, if you weren't here last week, I want to sort of go back to that. And we ended with a, a question that I left you with that I think is a very important question, but maybe even a bit unsettling for some of us. Uh, and the question was, what happens when something that was good and bore fruit no longer serves you and no longer bears fruit? What do you do with that? These Judaizers who came in the wake of Paul's missionary efforts to Galatia were demanding Torah observance of these new Christians. Torah observance and circumcision and eating kosher and all these things. And Paul's argument is that the thing that was once good, that served a purpose, the law, has become the very thing that's inhibiting and enslaving uh, this new group of people who are free in Christ, right? These Gentiles. The Judaizers are coming and saying, no, you got to do these things too. And Paul's, his whole argument is that that thing that served a purpose, the law, no longer is serving that purpose. In fact, it's become the thing that's weighing you down. It's keeping you. It's it's holding you back. This is why he begins chapter 5 with, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. So don't let yourselves be burdened by this yoke of slavery. That's what he's talking about. So the question for Paul as he begins chapter 5 is, who's free? And what is freedom? What does it mean to be truly human and to be alive and free as a human? What are the fruits of that life? That's what Paul's working out. So this morning, I want to try to paint in very broad brushstrokes, three different lanes, as it were, that Paul knew that preachers were coming and there would be homiletics classes that would say, you know, get three good points in there and, you know, give them an application, a good story to begin with, three points and an application. He knew we were coming, and so he broke this section, this chapter up into three, three, three very easily distinguished ideas. And those ideas are as follows. Nomism, libertinism, 
and freedom in the spirit. Now, the first two words, maybe you've never heard of. Maybe you have. I don't know. But we're going to take them in turn. Nomism, libertinism, and freedom in the spirit. So let's start. And here we go, friends. We're on the whiteboard now. Get ready. Nomism. What is it? In verses 2 to 6, Paul sums up the argument he's been trying to make about the law. This is the part where he's talking about circumcision, where we started, chapter 5. He's basically saying, if circumcision is a sign of the Mosaic law, or the Mosaic covenant, which is the law, then for you Gentile Christians to allow yourselves to be circumcised is to place yourselves under the law. And that, my friends, uh, essentially renders the cross useless. That's what he's saying. He's like, you're free. Christ has set you free. But by being circumcised, you're placing yourself under the law, and then, if you're under the law, then why bother with Christ? Because that's a whole different deal. It's headed in a new direction. So he's saying, if you do that, you're placing yourselves under the law, and he's highlighting this first idea of nomism. Now, nomism, by the definition of the dictionary, is as follows. It is an ethical or religious basing of conduct on the observance of a moral law. So essentially, it's... In most cases, it's a religious effort to conduct your life adhering to a, a moral or religious code or law. Right? You could, this goes outside of Christianity. There are other, other groups of people who participate in this nomism, as it were. Specifically in the Bible, it's connected to the covenant of Israel, uh, the Old Testament. So this is how it kind of works. God chooses Israel to be this group of people and gives them this law. This Mosaic law, Torah. God promises to maintain this relationship with, with Israel and requires them to obey this law. Uh, God rewards obedience and punishes transgression, and the law provides a means by which atonement can happen when transgression has taken place. So the law at once atones the, the Israelite for their sin and also uh, essentially reestablishes covenant relationship. Okay, Let me break this down. You have the Mosaic law, and that leads to an invitation to follow it, to live in it. And of course, Israel, as good humans as they are, transgress the law, break the law, sin, if you will, which brings about the need for a sacrifice in the temple, which thankfully there is a, a whole list of how to do that, and that brings about atonement. So you can imagine, this is a bit of a feedback loop. Right? You get the Mosaic law as the Israelites. You're invited to live in it. You don't. You transgress the law, which brings the need for a sacrifice. You go to temple and you sacrifice, which brings atonement, at which point you're invited to go back to the start and live in the Mosaic law, which, of course, you transgress, which, of course, brings need for sacrifice, which, of course, there's atonement for it, and you go to the temple and you do that, and you're invited to live in the Mosaic law. But, of course, you do you see what I'm saying? It's a feedback loop, and it just keeps happening over and over and over again. This is why the writer of Hebrews says that the law was imperfect, or, or, or uh, it, it wasn't the end. It, it didn't accomplish what needed to be accomplished. It only for a time set out this system by which the people of God could be invited to live as they should, uh, and, and, and essentially when they didn't offer sacrifice to be atoned but the writer of Hebrews says, once and for all, Jesus would come and he would be the perfect sacrifice, so atonement would come for all forever, and this would not need to happen anymore. So this is called nomism. It's an adherence to a moral code or a strict religious way of, of living. And Paul's essentially saying 
this cannot be done and will not be done. Try as you might, Judaizers, who are then telling the Gentile Christians to live in Torah, to adhere to Torah, you can try as much as you want, but you can't uphold the law. That's the whole point. That's why at the time given, Jesus appears and fulfills the law and says, now it's this way, friends. Do you see what we're doing here? The Judaizers are saying, Gentiles, you got to live in this. But Paul's like, you think this will bring freedom. These people are telling you're going to be free, that you're going to participate in God's family and everything's going to be great. But you can't do it. It doesn't bring freedom. It actually brings enslavement. And that's what the law had become, something that did bear fruit but now wasn't bearing fruit anymore. Tracking so far. So that's the first lane. And Paul's like, just not, I shouldn't do that. That's not what he does. He says, this was good. It was beautiful. It was for a time. It bore fruit. But it's not any longer. So move on. Keep going. It's not that it was bad. And I, by that, you would assume that's a very pejorative move, you know, kicking something. I don't want to kick it. Because I don't think Paul does. So don't hear that. But he's saying, this won't bring freedom. It just can't. And, and, and if you fast forward, right, 2,000 years later, what is this? If not religious fundamentalism. Right? Which is why I said when something did bear fruit for a while and it was good, but then it doesn't anymore, you're free to move on. You're free to keep going. So that's the first lane that Paul's uh, sort of putting out there. Uh, and it, he ends this section in, with verse 12, which is just Paul the Enneagram 8. He's like, I wish those agitators and Judaizers who are demanding circumcision would just go all the way and cut off their testicles. <laughs> The kids are downstairs, guys. It's okay. We're going to be all right. Like, that's actually what he's saying. Like, if you're going to circumcise them, then just go the whole way. Like, cut off all of it, you know? Like, but you don't have to, so don't. Jeez Louise, come on. You get to keep your testicles and follow Jesus. I think we're going to pod preach, brother. Preach, Micah. That, we're going to use that on the podcast, I'm pretty sure. Um, the point here being, nomism and adherence to the law cannot bring about freedom. Cannot. And does not. Then he turns his attention to the second lane. One that uh, he appears to have already covered because he says, need I remind you of these things, right? In, a, in about verse 20-something. Uh, uh, the second lane that Paul describes is one that humanity knows all too well. And it's this word of libertinism. Libertinism is essentially uh, this well-worn path in the human experience. If we, if, we, if we track humanity, we've seen that we've been trying, to, trying this one on for a very long time. And it begins with a fundamental assumption and belief that fulfillment, joy, and happiness begins and ends with me. It is a very self-centered way of being human. Uh, a libertine, I'll quote now, a libertine... Libertinism. A libertine is one devoid of most moral principles, a sense of responsibility to others, or sexual restraint, which are, which are seen as unnecessary or undesirable, especially one who ignores or even spurns accepted morals and forms of behavior sanctified by a larger society. So this is like an extreme form of hedonism. It is, Paul calls it, the flesh. And he uses the Greek word sarks, which is different than somo. Is a, that's another word he could have used, but he's specifically talking about this, okay? It's flesh. It is self-centered. 
it is often uh, um, there like no limits, so it's sort of a free for all, and it is essentially all about the satisfaction of my desire. And Paul basically says, in the end, this idea, this philosophy that my happiness, joy, fulfillment, and freedom is a self-centered exercise. And this philosophy that Paul calls it out for what it is and what it's masquerading as, which is a lane, a way of living as a human that will lead to freedom. And Paul's like, it doesn't. It never has and it can't. Because you were not made for yourself. You were made for community. You were made for relationship. The kingdom of, like, and so these two opposites, Paul's like, you, you hear, your people are telling you that this is going to bring freedom. It won't. You're also hearing, in a Roman-infused uh, Galatian world in 2,000 years ago, you're also hearing that this will lead you to freedom, and this will bring happiness and joy, and will bring the highest, like, uh, experience as a human. It won't. It can't. And then he says, the kingdom of God and life by the Spirit, which Jesus invites us into, is, is the lane between gnomism and libertinism. Now, how many of you have seen La La Land? The movie. It begins with, there was also a Dodge commercial on the same spot. In L.A., there's this really, really tall, elevated freeway that leads out to the airport. In L.A., a lot of times, the expressway, the HOV, high occupancy vehicle lane, is actually not in between the two lanes like it is here in Minnesota, except for that one part of 394. It's actually elevated, it, and it rides above the, the, the rest of traffic, like that spot in La La Land at the beginning of the movie. If I could right now, I would like switch to 3D, because I, what I want to say to you is that what Paul is arguing for is that this is not just a lane between these two ideas. It is on another plane. It's a whole nother deal. It is a level of human existence that surpasses and goes above, not just finds its way in the middle in between, but actually is a, on another plane. And he says, this is life in the spirit. The spirit of the resurrected Christ. And it is for freedom that we have been set free. And this freedom comes by way of the spirit of God alive and empowering our lives. Now, Paul says that the law won't bring you freedom and the flesh won't bring you freedom. But Christian freedom is life in the spirit. And when you're living life empowered by and in sync with the Spirit of Christ, it will bear certain kinds of fruit. Like there are certain kinds of people that commonly come from this type of behavior, or this type of system. There are certain kinds of people, certain fruit that's born of, this, of living this way of life. And he also says there is a fruit, a certain characteristic or, or byproduct of you when you live connected to and empowered by the Spirit of God. And that fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. See, my friend Scott started this series a few weeks back, and he said something that I just loved, and I said, it's so fascinating, so beautiful. Roses don't grow on apple trees. Why? Because apples grow on apple trees. The fruit of an apple tree are apples. The fruit of this life, when you're connected to and empowered and enabled by the Spirit of Christ living in you and, and alive, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. It, 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 and you can know it when that's there. Because roses don't grow on apple trees, friends. A life empowered by the Spirit, how is it different than a life empowered by the flesh, as Paul says, or indebted to or enslaved by the law? 
a couple of places he, he gives us an implicit answer to that question, and in one place, an explicit answer to that question. In verse 13, he says this. Here's what it looks like. If you want to know what life empowered by the, by the Christ, the spirit of Christ, alive in the world and in you, here's what it looks like. You, my brothers and sisters, you're called to be free. Don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. The freedom that Christ has set us free for comes by and through life in the Spirit. It is both beyond the law and in opposition to the flesh. And friends, it always looks like this. If it comes by the cross and the resurrection, it is always motivated by love and always humble and in service of others. This will lead to freedom as a human. This will lead to the life you always wanted. This will lead to the fullest, the most joyful, the most uh, gratifying life as a human being. Why? Because you were made from community. You were made for community. So freedom cannot ever be experienced only as an isolated individual. It can only be actualized in community. We're only free when we're motivated by love, and our love is in service of the other. Therefore, I'll say it again, freedom is not a reality that I experience as an isolated individual, but can only be realized in community. So my inalienable rights as a free citizen might be running in contrast to the definition that the scriptures are using about what freedom actually looks like. Freedom cannot be actualized, according to scripture, as an isolated individual. It's only actualized when it is in community or in service of other. Bonhoeffer says it this way. He was a, a, died in like the 40s uh, during World War II. He said, The Imago Dei, the image of God that has been demonstrated through Christ, is characterized by this freedom, which is not an individualistic freedom, but a freedom for others. This freedom functions both vertically and horizontally. Vertically, it allows me a, worship to worship, or a human to worship God, and horizontally, this freedom allows me to serve my fellow human being. As a result, freedom is never a private possession, but one that arises in context of encounter with the other. Paul puts these three things on display and says, friends, this was good for a time, but we're beyond it. We're being invited out beyond the borders. This self-centered, no limits, where everybody gets to decide whatever it is they want and satisfy the desires of their heart, their soul, whatever their craving is, this does not lead to freedom. It leads to death all the time. When you serve yourself first at the cost of others, the only one who's left is you, and you weren't meant to be alone. It is the antithesis of the human experience. This, on the other hand, life empowered by and enabled by the spirit of Christ, which was dead and then resurrected and alive and at work in the world, always bears this kind of fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, faithfulness. 
So friends, last week I ended with this question. What happens when something was good and bore fruit, but no longer serves you and no longer bears fruit? And I invited you and maybe gave you permission, some of, some of us, and freedom to let go of some things, to maybe move beyond whatever version of this you had grown up in or felt like you needed to leave. And I said that this is normal and natural in the spiritual journey. And it is. And I'll say it again. I talked about this metaphor of sailing. And that this boat, this life of faith, it's meant for the open water. It's meant to put the sails up and have the wind of the Spirit fill our sails. That's what we were meant for as the church. That's what we're called for, called to. We are not meant to sit in the safety of the harbor with the anchor down. And that's what this often looks like. Why? Because it's easier. It's tidy. They're, everybody gets a slip. They're numbered. You get to, you know where, and there's no waves. You're in behind the break wall. There's no ad. Like, everybody knows what's going on. You can cook, you can sleep, you can drink on the boat, and you could go through this whole thing and think, yeah, this boat's great. This is what it was meant for. But friends, you are deceived. That is not what the boat was built for. The boat was meant to sail. It's meant to get out beyond the break wall to open up the sails and let the wind blow. So let's sail this sucker. You know what I'm saying? It, but but it, it begs the question, and I got this sense last week as we ended, like, um, okay, so what? Where do we go? Like, once you get out beyond the break wall. What, like, where, where are we headed, Micah? And is it like a free-for-all? Like, does anything go? Does everybody decide their own truth? And this is where Galatians is so beautiful. And what Paul has to say is so for us in this moment. He recognizes that this, strict adherence to this, which we grade each other and our holiness by, it just doesn't lead to life. It might be good for a time, and that's fine, but like as you mature and grow, you will be called beyond to the freedom that Christ has set you free for, which is to open up the sails and to get out on the water and to sail this sucker. He also recognizes that this, which is so prevalent, has been and is now, doesn't lead to life. And so he says, life in the spirit is the only way to sail the, on, the only thing that will bring freedom and joy and love and peace and patience. And you will know when you're surrendered to that spirit and that spirit is filling up the winds of wind, your sails when there is increased levels of joy, peace, kindness, patience, self-control, right? Apples only grow apple trees, or apple trees only grow apples. You'll know that you're living connected to that source when those things are the fruit of your life. When you make a decision and there is less kindness, peace, patience, joy, you can be sure that God was not inviting you to make that choice, right? But when there is more joy, more love, more peace, more patience, more kindness, more self-control, more faithfulness, you can be sure that God is in that. So you need not be afraid of the freedom for which Christ has set you free, people. You don't have to stay in the harbor. You can get out on the water. You can sail the boat, people. It's so exciting. You remember, like, uh, what, was it? what about Bob? I'm sailing! The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. That's what Paul says. So, friends, you do not need to be afraid of the freedom for which Christ set you free. Freedom is scary. The open water is scary. 
But man, it is an adventure like none other. You feel like you're alive. You can hear your heartbeat in your ears. You know that moment where like you can feel your pulse? Oh, the winds in, and, and I go sailing in the fall with some friends of mine and it is so amazing. Like this illustration, as I was reading this and studying this, I'm like, oh my gosh, yes. There they are, pretty little maids all in a row in the harbor, beautiful boats, lovely, no waves. You can get on the boat. You can eat on the boat. You can drink on the boat. You can sleep on the boat. You're on the water. But the sails aren't even up. And the moment when you, we call it the iron sail, you crank up the motor, you back it out, you get it out of the slip, and you start to go out, and in, out of the brake wall, and then things start to change. Like drastically, you can feel it under your feet, and you point the, the boat into the wind because you'd never put your sails up sideways, friends. Don't do that. You point the boat into the wind, you put up the sails, you turn off the motor, and all of a sudden, it's like she comes alive. And you turn just a little bit, and you feel, you literally feel the boat lift like it was made to do this. And then you sail. Where do you go? Wherever the wind blows. Well, what if you, if you, can't tr if you don't trust the wind, you're in deep trouble. Right? But if you know that that wind is the spirit of the resurrected Christ and it always leads to love and joy and peace and hope and patience and justice and mercy, then you can trust wherever the spirit leads. So you just open up the sails and you sail that sucker. I don't know where you are and I don't know what kind of church you've come from or why you're here, but I'm telling you, I'm not interested in sitting in the harbor. Now, if you need to be in the harbor for a bit, that's okay, that's fine. You can eat meals there. You can sleep on the boat. You can, like, try it out. And every now and again, you'll feel the boat rock. And you'll be like, oh, am I on a boat? But at some point, I really would highly recommend you get that boat out on the water. And you sail it. And we'll be out there. You can call us on the radio. And we'll be like, oh, our coordinates are this. Come find us and let's sail together. <laughs> we have everything we need. We need not fear the freedom for which we have been set free for. We have each other. We don't make decisions in isolation. So does anything go? Should I, should I move in this direction? If you're making that decision alone, I would just say, stop what you're doing and back up. Should I make this decision? Should I go in this direction? Ask the people who are in community with, who are trusted, who know what direction, like, who also can hear the spirit of God and feel the wind. And, and for them to say, well, it feels like that seems good to the spirit in us. You know that's how they made decisions in the Bible, don't you? When the Jews and the Gentiles are like, what should we do? And they're like, well, the best we have is it feels like the, it feels to the spirit in us, we should go this direction. And by the dancing way, if you don't think, you know, like moving beyond this, when Jesus says, you have heard it said, but I say unto you, what is he doing? If he's not going beyond this and asking you to sail. You've heard this, but I say that the spirit is doing this. Jesus does it all through the Bible. So why are we so afraid of it? the fruit of God and God's spirit are in the decisions and the choices and the relationships that we are in, then we can be rest assured God is in that. If there is not more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control, gentleness, then we can know, we can know that God is not in that. 
So I say, let's pull the anchors, let's put up the sails, and let's sail this sucker. That is all I have for you today. Pray with me. God, as we take a few moments um, to be quiet and to listen, which is so important in this journey of faith and sailing this boat, would you speak to us? Would you remind us if there are any ways in which we are still in the harbor, taking comfort in everything being dictated and clear. And for as long as we need to be there, okay. But would you begin to gently invite us out onto the open water? God, for for those of us who maybe have tried the other version of self-first, would you just remind us in gentle ways that that seems to never lead to good fruit. Seems to always lead to isolation because it's about me. And so this, this middle lane that is on a different plane, would you, Holy Spirit, like capture, uh, show us, remind us, give us a taste of what it looks like and feels like to have the wind of your spirit enabling, powering the effort of this community and of our lives where there is more joy and more love, more peace, more patience, more kindness, more gentleness, more self-control. Jesus, we want to sail, but we need you. So lead us, direct us, guide us, and blow Holy Spirit. Well, will you receive these words as you go? This is a benediction from a man named Howard Thurman. Um, He is a theologian and philosopher and an activist, um, maybe most known by people as um, like the influence of MLK in his nonviolent approach. Um, He puts it this way as a growing edge, and so maybe a different way to have this conversation is to think of it as that, an expansion. So receive these words. Look well to the growing edge. All around us, worlds are dying and new worlds are being born. All around us, life is dying and life is being born. The fruit ripens on the tree. The roots are silently at work in the darkness of the earth against a time when there shall be new leaves and fresh blossoms, green fruit. Such is the growing edge. It is the extra breath from the exhausted lung, the one more thing to try when all else has failed, the upward reach of life when weariness closes in upon all endeavor. This is the basis of hope in moments of despair. The incentive to carry on when times are out of joint and men have lost their reason. The source of confidence when worlds crash and dreams whiten into ash. The birth of the child. Life's most dramatic answer to death. This, the growing edge incarnate.
Look well to the growing edge. Grace and peace, friends. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.